to Disclosure, a brand new program brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy. I'm your host for today's program, Jean Boonstra, and I am here in our studios in Loveland, Colorado. It's a beautiful sunny day. I love Colorado. And here with me in the studio is my husband, Sean. Welcome, Sean. Hey, it's like my first day in the studio here in Loveland, Colorado. It's such a new experience. <laughs> well, I think you've already been in here for at least a good hour before we started this Yeah, I was, I was working on another project that people will soon hear on the radio. Um, and uh, so stay tuned to everything that the Voice of Prophecy is doing. Go to VOP.com a lot. I'm just going to throw in my plug. I know you're hosting today, but I'm going to throw in the plug. And I also know that you couldn't get a decent guest, so you hauled me in here. Well, yeah, that's the reality. But I, I know you normally do host this program, and it's hard for you to switch. Switch gears sometimes. Yeah. But I will try and lead the conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. I, Everybody pray for my wife. Very best. Everybody pray for her. She's going to try and lead the conversation when I was born a chatty Kathy. As a matter of fact, you know that my report cards when I was a kid, they all said... Um, Sean's a you know pretty good student, but he sure talks a lot in class. They it's, all said that. It's hard for me to imagine you know, that. I, know. I just cannot I picture I, it. <laughs> I got in trouble so often for talking in class and even trying to correct the teacher in the first grade. Well, that I can't imagine Well, those either. teachers, you know, I look back. Those teachers needed some correcting. They were kind of know-it-alls, standing yeah. at the front of the class, parading around like a you know pagan Greek philosopher, like they understood yeah. everything. Yeah, and, and when and you at, were six. Yeah, at the age of six, <laughs> I obviously had some wisdom to contribute to that discussion. And then they, you know, they punish you. They send a note home that... I talk too much, and then your parents will say, all that talking, that'll never amount to anything. And, and what do you here know? here we are. Uh, here we are. I talk for a living. So, <laughs> so kids it, out there, if you get that, you talk too much on your report card, hang in there. You might become a preacher. <laughs> it, it's a useful skill. Don't let them talk you out of it. Well, I don't know if I can uh, uh, give my thumbs up to that or not, but in your case, oh, Sean, you're such a mom. it works. You're such a I mom. I am a mom. Yeah. I am a mom. Well, listen, today we are going to do something that we did a couple of weeks ago, which is we are going to have some questions. Yes, you're we gonna, are. Uh, now, you have been speaking, Sean, for many years now at live seminars across um, America. And at those seminars, you always have a question, yeah, question I always, box. I always open a question box in the lobby. Yeah. It's our Revelation Speaks Peace seminar. And we do it not just across America. I think we've done it on six out of seven continents now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always put a question box in the in the lobby, you know, as much for the audience's sake as, as it is for mine. But I'm the one who really wins because the questions are fascinating. And I have some here from one of the more recent seminars that we did. I think these came from Indianapolis. Maybe uh, Minneapolis, too. No, 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 no. Look, I've got an envelope in my hands. Ah, What does it say on the envelope? Indy. Yeah. See, I save all these questions. And Uh this one comes from Indianapolis. And I do have an envelope somewhere from the uh, Minneapolis one. I save all of them. Okay. And um, and so, yeah, we'll answer some of those questions. And if people have questions... Well, hand me that envelope. And as we get started here... You're taking my stuff away from me. I'm going to ask you some of these questions. Okay. And we're going to dig into them. Well, now, if you're listening and you're thinking of a question you'd love to ask Sean on the air, you can submit that question. Now, we won't get to it today, of course. We're going to... We're going to pull some questions out of the envelope, but you may email BibleQuestions at VOP.com, and perhaps we will answer your question on a future episode of Questions Unless it's really, really hard, and then my wife will answer the question. 
Oh, you're going to I get the, the softballs and Gene gets the hard okay. questions. Ask Gene about all the stuff that theologians have grappled with for thousands of years and never come to an answer. And she'll field those, and I'll, I'll field the ones like, you know, how do you spell Bible? Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Well, that, that sounds kind of fair. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Sean, um, recently there was an, a story in the news that caught my attention. I don't know if you heard it, but there were three castaways no. that were rescued from a remote Pacific island. They were rescued now, after they... Did they, they really want to get rescued? Rescued. Well, well, they did because listen to the story. These three men—they were traveling in a small boat, which was capsized in the water, mm-hmm. and so they were stranded on Fanadic Island for three days. According, this is according to the U.S. Coast Guard. Is that a tropical island? It is a tropical island. See, why do you want to get rescued? I don't understand <laughs> it. Well, listen, it's a small island. It's about three thousand miles southwest of Honolulu. It's one of the Micronesian islands. Oh, and I imagine it was beautiful, but these three men—they were capsized in the middle of the night, and so they jumped off of their boat. They had to swim to shore in the black of night. They arrived on that island with no fresh water, simply the ocean-soaked clothes on their backs. That's it. So after three days, they were happy when a U.S. Navy P-8 air crew saw their well, they, SOS they, they and rescued them. They were only stranded for three days. They were stranded See, three for three days. three days on a days. tropical island, Gene. That's a vacation. I don't understand this one. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the concept of being a castaway, yep. I think you're, you're hitting on it here. We all kind of think that's a cool idea, don't yeah, we? Yeah, sure. I'd love it. You three know, days, uh, castaway, and we, and and you no know cell phone. No cell phone. But look, these men had no fresh water. I don't know if they had any food. There was probably there was probably some fruit or of some kind on the island, we can imagine. But it was a small island. Okay. And, and you know, in culture, we do like this idea of being a castaway. We talk about it all the time, don't we? If you're stranded on a desert island, who do you want to be with? How? Which books do oh, you want to have you. with you? I want to have you with me. Well, that's the right answer anyway, yeah. so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a dream, and there's there's some allure to it. But, you know, the reality is these men were very happy to be rescued, and their situation was not ideal. But it makes me wonder, why do we love that idea of being a castaway? Not just a little vacation for three days, but I think we imagine it's a chance to sort of push pause on life because life is often complicated and difficult. And it offers a chance maybe to have a fresh start, doesn't it? Castaway, the name by definition, separated from everything else. Disconnects us from our cell phones, from everyday life. But, you know, the appeal of being a castaway, Sean, I think, is that desire for us to restart our lives. Hit that reset button. And, you know, we don't have to end up on a small Micronesian island to do that. There are a couple of scriptures. Well, there are many verses in scripture, really. But there are three that come to mind readily for me this morning that tell me that God offers that to us today without the necessity of being stranded on an island. Number one, Psalm 46 verse one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So wherever we are, no matter our circumstances, he is with us. And then there's a beautiful passage in Isaiah 40, it's verse 31 that says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God, again, gives us that strength. And then 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
So that fresh start, that renewal, it that we we sort of seek when we think right. about the romantic part of being a castaway, it's available well, there, to us. Well, there is a sense you don't want to be a castaway. You won't find it in a modern translation, but in the old King James, the word castaway does appear once mm. in the New Testament. And that's Paul writing, and Paul saying, you know, I keep my body under subjection, lest by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In the modern versions, it says disqualified. Um, there's one sense you never want to be a castaway. You don't want to be one of those that is not brought home into the kingdom of God. Uh, so separated there's from that, God. There's that yeah. side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I've got to say, tropical island, three days, uh, yeah. You know? Well, maybe if you could take the boat with you, with your water and, and uh, supplies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, you know, all of you out there who are parents of teenage children, three days on a tropical island, Seems good, right? Let the kids mess up the house and what have you, do what they want, and you lay on the beach. Well, the difficulty is going back to reality and having to fix everything yeah. after all that. Actually, our oldest our <laughs> oldest just came home. Uh-huh. from a, She's on a little break and uh, is at home for a little while. And I was amazed at how, you know, uh, the Boonster tornado swept through the house. It took less than an hour to turn our house into a teenage dorm room. Yeah. There's stuff all over the table. Well, and, and I walked in the door and, I mean... Less than two feet in front of me was her her backpack with all her stuff Didn't spilling out it. of it in the middle of the floor. Yes. Didn't even make it three feet into <laughs> no, the house. No. Yeah. So maybe we should let the kids be cast away, send them to the tropical island. You can leave your clothes all over the beach. Well, hey, might be onto something yep. there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right, Sean. Well, we have this envelope here with questions. I am eager to ask you a couple. We have just a few minutes before our first break, and I want to toss out the first question okay. here. And for you listening, just a reminder, these are questions that Sean has received received at seminars he's done across the country, across the world, really. And if you have a Bible question, you can submit it to BibleQuestions at VOP.com. All right, here's our first question. What does it mean when the Bible says that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father? Wouldn't that mean that Jesus is not eternal, that he had a beginning? Yeah, this has got to be one of the biggest questions that I get when people are wrestling with this idea that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. Those who have sort of criticized that idea over the centuries have often gone to these verses that say Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. And they say, well, begotten means he was born, and that means you have a beginning, and God brought him into existence at some point. Um, And they get confused when they read some texts. Let's look at some of the texts that cause the confusion and uh, and then we'll start to examine what it might mean. Hebrews 1 verse 5 is a good example of one of these passages that people appeal to okay. on occasion. Hebrews 1 verse 5. This is describing in the beginning of the book of Hebrews how Jesus is better than. That's one of the big themes in the Bible. Jesus better than the angels. Jesus better than the Old Testament sanctuary service. Better than. Okay, Hebrews 1 verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did he, that's God, ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Oh, they say, see, the Father begot the Son, or beget, oh, I, it's, it's old language. Mm-hmm. The Father has begotten the Son, um, and it goes on to say, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. Aha, Jesus had a beginning, God brought him into existence. What this is, this is a quote from Psalm 2, and at some point in the show today, we'll look at Psalm 2, I believe, um, and what the author of Hebrews is doing is trying to demonstrate that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of Psalm 2 and verse 7. Oh, so that would make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest keys, you know, I've struggled with this too. What does it mean? Because 
It says in Micah that Jesus' beginnings were from everlasting, and that's using language that describes God himself, from everlasting to everlasting. It's quite clear that the Bible speaks of the divinity of Christ and yet calls the Son begotten. One of the big keys is found in Acts chapter 13. Listen to this. Um, Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching, But God raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, this is verse 30, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. So in this verse so far, what has God done? Mm -hmm. He has raised up Jesus. 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 Now, suddenly, there's a segue to the Psalms. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Hmm. Today, I have begotten you. Okay. And then he resumes his sermon. So he's quoting the same he's psalm quoting the same as psalm. we saw in Hebrews. <laughs> and he continues the sermon, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So okay. the whole verse is about the resurrection here in Acts chapter 13. He was seen for many days. You all know he came back from the dead. We declare to you glad tidings. He has raised up Jesus. He has raised him from the dead. Again and again, it's the resurrection. And in that context, he quotes you are my son, today I have begotten you. When was the son begotten? At the resurrection. Ah, At the okay. resurrection. That's the context. It's important to read the whole Bible mm-hmm. and always put it in the context of the entire scriptures. Bible study means reading the whole book if you really want to understand what mm-hmm. it's saying. Mm-hmm. So, when is Jesus begotten? Remember, he's not just the son of God, he's the son of man. And he comes back from the dead, the first fruit from the dead, and... Uh, And the resurrection is where Paul lands this concept of the begotten son. Okay. Well, Sean, this is a very important question that you're answering here. It really, really gives us a clear understanding of Jesus and the Father. And I want to let you answer this a little bit further. Okay. But we are going to take just a short break here. So you listening, just stay with us. We're going to take a very short break. And Sean is going to continue answering this question and other questions right here on today's episode of Disclosure. Would you like to make a tangible difference for the kingdom of God? Well, now is your chance. As a Voice of Prophecy sponsor, you can be the first to learn about our newest ministry projects and to hear about lives radically transformed by your support of these life-transforming projects. Sponsors are an integral part of this ministry's success and the reason we can continue to impact lives for Christ. Come spend the weekend with us at one of our fall sponsorship weekends and see just what your support can do. You will hear moving testimonies of lives changed, beautiful music, and inspirational preaching. And most of all, you will have the satisfaction of directly helping to change lives through your support. Find out today how you can become a sponsor and join us at one of these weekends. Call 1-800-429-5700 or visit us at VOPsponsors.com.
Welcome back to Disclosure. I'm your host, Jean Boonstra, and today my guest is Sean Boonstra, my husband and your regular host, and we are working through some questions that Sean has received at live seminars that he's put on around the world. And Sean, just before our short break, I asked you an excellent question, and I want to repeat it here, and I want you to continue answering it. Okay. The question was, what does it mean when the Bible says that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father? Wouldn't that mean that Jesus is not eternal, that he had a beginning. Now, you took us through Hebrews. You took us through Acts. Right. Continue right. Continue this for Remember us. Remember now, in Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching at Antioch, and Paul ties this concept, you are my son today, I have begotten you. He ties it directly to the resurrection of Christ. Don't mm-hmm. forget that Jesus is not just the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's fully God, and he's fully human. And that's kind of the context, the resurrection. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is the first of the human race. He sort of stands now at the head of the human race because God the Son became one of us. And he's called the first fruits of the, um, of the dead. Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And here's another difficult passage, and uh, we could spend an entire program on it. But okay. let's let's look at this carefully. This is Colossians one and verse fifteen. Okay, speaking about Jesus, it Take says, us through it. "He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn." Some people pause there and say, "Oh, oh, oh, oh! Mm-hmm. He's the firstborn. First he's born. He has a beginning in time. He's not from everlasting." Mm-hmm. You can't discard what Micah says. You have to go with what the entire Bible teaches, that Jesus is also co-eternal with the Father. The word firstborn here is a Greek word, prototokos. Okay. All right. And it's not so much a matter of where you fall in chronology. Oh, he's the first in line, the first chronologically. Prototokos is more of a position. The prototokos might be the first among equals, or he might be the king or the prime minister. First minister. He's first in in priority, not in chronology. He's Ah. the firstborn over all creation. Okay. Now listen to this. For by him, Jesus, all things were created. Now we have Jesus is the creator. That obviously makes him co-eternal with God. Make, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He's not part of the creation. He is the creator. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Not only did he create it, it exists because of him. Mm -hmm. You and I wouldn't draw a breath if the creator was not still holding this universe together. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. So he stands at the head of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the what? Dead. From the dead. Mm -hmm. Now, was Jesus the first person in scripture to come back from the dead? Absolutely not, right? We've got the widow Mm -hmm. with the Elijah. We've got Lazarus who comes back from the dead before Jesus does chronologically. Yet it calls him the firstborn from the dead that in all things it finishes, he may have the what? Preeminence. Preeminence. Jesus is not the first to come back from the dead chronologically. God raised others from the dead chronologically before the resurrection of Christ. But none of them would have life if Jesus had not died and risen from the dead. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the only hope we have is the fact that Jesus is the last Adam, and he has risen from the dead. And because of that, we have a chance under his banner, in his name, as his relatives now, 
to also come back from the dead. So he's first born in the sense that the rest of us don't get a resurrection unless he does. Uh-huh. We're not talking chronology. We're talking preeminence. Okay. Right? That makes good sense. So Jesus mm-hmm. has preeminence over the creation really in two ways. First of all, he created the world. That's mentioned in this passage. It's also mentioned in John 1 and Hebrews 1. It's mentioned twice, I believe. Jesus is the creator. Then what does that creator do? He becomes part of the creation. He lives here like us. He identifies with us. And then he rises from the dead, becomes the last Adam, the head of the human race, the ultimate heir of this entire planet. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who inherits this planet, and we inherit it through him. He takes back the world that you and I gave away. Adam and Eve were given dominion over the planet, and we gave that away by sinning. God comes as a man. He takes it back with his victory. So you find it. This is a big enough concept. I want to show just maybe one or two other passages. Okay. Is that good with you? That is good with me. Okay. Revelation chapter 1. A very important question. Yeah, it is Mm -hmm. an important question. Look at this. Uh, Revelation 1 and verse, I think, probably right from the beginning here. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. This is verse 4. Okay. Grace to you and peace from him. Who is and who was and who is to come. There's the language of eternity. Mm -hmm. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn. And Mm. people stop. See, see, he's born. No, they didn't finish reading it. No, there are a few more words there. The firstborn from the dead. Dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. Again, this concept of Jesus being the firstborn is tied to his resurrection. The rest of us will have hope because he rose from the dead. If he had not risen from the dead, there would be no hope. Because he's risen from the dead, he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. It's about preeminence, not chronology. Okay. Right? Okay. Look what Paul says in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter. And I, I mentioned this just a moment ago. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. Okay. But now Christ is risen from the dead. What's the context mm-hmm. again? The resurrection. Mm-hmm. And has become the firstfruits. Of those who have fallen asleep. Now, here Paul is calling Jesus the fulfillment of an Old Testament festival known as the Festival of the First Fruits. It was the wave sheaf offering. They would look at the early spring harvest and get the ripest bit of grain out of the field before the whole harvest was ready, and the priest would wave it before the Lord at the Feast of First Fruits. It was known as the wave sheaf offering. took place on the third day of the Passover festival. And what it was was a recognition that God had given them that first bit of the harvest and that they had faith that he would finish the harvest. Now, Jesus is called the first fruits. He's the first part of the harvest. He's the Son of God who became the Son of Man, rises from the dead, and because of that, we all have hope, Mm. right? Jesus, our Passover, died on Passover. That's not a coincidence. We can learn a lot from studying those festivals and feasts. Anyway, when we're talking about the uh, firstborn, we're talking really about preeminence and position and the fact that he is the reason that the rest of us have hope of resurrection in the future. Okay, so it's not chronology. Nope, not at all. That makes... Very good sense. I think that was important to really work through that carefully. Thank you, Sean. Let's, Let's take another question. This one is another really good one. It says, in the story of Bartimaeus, Matthew and Mark say that Jesus was leaving Jericho when he met the blind man. But Luke says he was approaching Jericho. Okay, so this is a well-known story. This is the story of blind Bartimaeus. So two of the gospel accounts say that Jesus is leaving. And Luke and another says that he is approaching. So Mark and Luke talk about one blind beggar. Matthew talks about two. 
Right. Wouldn't this indicate that somebody got the story wrong? Right. I remember when this question came in, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, you know, a lot of people read through the Bible and they say, well, you know, Matthew tells a story a little bit different than Luke, and 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 so on. And they say, see, it's not an authentic document. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that actually makes it more authentic eyewitness testimony. You get suspicious if everybody says exactly the same way. There's an old story about four boys who were late for school, and they say, well, we were late for school because we had a flat tire on the car. And um, and the truth was they were goofing off. They were hanging out at the mall and, and doing things they shouldn't have done on school hours. Mm-hmm. And the wise principal hauls them all into four separate classrooms and says, all right, all of you. Tell me which tire was flat. They had to write down the answer, and they hadn't discussed that, and they all got a different answer. Sure. In that case, the discrepancy proves to a, you know points to a lie. Here, um, when the gospel writers tell the story slightly differently, that's just authenticity. That mm-hmm. is four different points of view looking at the same effect. Okay, so a different perspective of individuals that that witnessed the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, go talk to a forensic policeman about undesigned coincidences. Sometimes in a court of law, a witness is going to tell a story, and everyone in the courtroom goes, "That story is full of holes. That doesn't make a lick of sense." Right. But then another witness who doesn't know the first witness comes along and tells another version of the same story. Mm-hmm. And that second witness suddenly gives a detail that fills in the gap in the first witness's story. Right. Makes right? it pu- Pulls it all together. Gives yeah. you the complete picture. Yeah, this is why mm-hmm. you want to read all four Gospels. Generally speaking, all of the details line up. It mm-hmm. is common in the Bible. We sh- actually, we, sh- we should probably do a show at some point on the undesigned coincidences. The Bible is loaded with them. It is. Where you, be a good you know, show. One writer say, Jeremiah says something about the Babylonian captivity, and you say, huh, that doesn't make sense. That can't be true. And then Ezekiel fills in the detail, and Uh wow, that that makes more sense than I ever dreamed possible. All right, the story of Jericho and Bartimaeus. Scholars think this one's pretty easy to solve. Okay. Herod the Great did not like the climate in Jerusalem, right? He just didn't like it. So he builds a palace in Jericho, which is a little bit warmer than Jerusalem. We know this historically. Now, as the king builds a palace, as you can imagine, a new city grows up around the new palace, and that new city is called New Jericho. All right. Right? Mm -hmm. So now we have two Jerichos. There's the reality of it. Jesus in this story is probably leaving old Jericho. Mm -hmm. Matthew and Mark are referring to that. Mm -hmm. And he approaches the new city of Jericho, Mm -hmm. which is Luke. There are two Jerichos. We know that historically. All of these accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, can be absolutely right. There were actually two places named Jericho. So bo- both the men were just, all three of the men were just recording what they saw, what the witness of which city they were going to no, and no, from. And no. in their minds, it was all Jericho. Ma- Matthew and Mark are saying Jesus leaves Jericho. Yeah. Luke says he's going to Jericho. All accurate. And they're all right because yeah. he's leaving one Jericho and going to the next. Now, the issue of the beggar, right. right? Matthew and Luke say there's one blind beggar and Matthew says there are two. Mm-hmm. So... Is somebody got it wrong? Well, it yeah. depends on, on who's telling the story. What are they focusing on? We all tell stories differently because we all pay attention to different details. What's important to notice in this, read all three accounts, and nobody ever says there was only one beggar. Mm. They, they never say that. Okay, that no, makes sense. Mark and Luke focus on one guy as they tell the story, but there could have been 10, 20. There could have been a 1,000 beggars. Right. right? If right. I say, oh, there was this guy who came to Revelation Speaks Peace when we held it in Indianapolis, right? There was a guy who asked me a question. I'm telling the truth, but I'm not saying there was only, only one guy one. there. Right. And I'm not even saying only one person ever asked me a question. I'm saying one guy asked me the question. Someone else who was there would say, well, Sean got up front and answered that question for us, right? I answered it in front of everybody. This is really simple. 
If Remember, if four people tell exactly the same story with exactly the same details, now you're suspicious, right? If, if our kids come to Eugene and say, and they're going to explain how the window got broken, and their stories are so identical that they're word perfect, mm-hmm. what Sus- are you going to think? I'm going to be suspicious. Yeah, they colluded. They rehearsed the story before they came to you. But right. human beings are all attracted by different parts of the Bible. Mark and Luke focus on one guy as they tell the story. And uh, and Matthew talks about two guys. It, they could all be there. It's just depending what is the focus of that particular gospel mm-hmm, writer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the way it is with a lot of the details. It just depends on who telling the story and what part of that story is important to them. Okay. Well, you know that makes that makes perfect sense to me. Recently, we were watching some old home movies with our kids, and I, I saw things that I had never noticed before because I wasn't the one doing the recording at some of those events. And I was present there, but there were details I had never caught. So understanding that they were telling the story from a different perspective puts it all together. You know, there are no errors. There are no inconsistencies in scripture when we really study and learn the details of it. Well, Sean, I have another question that I cannot wait to ask you. It's very, very important. But on some programs, we are going off of the air right now. So if you lose us, catch up with us at VOP.com to catch the rest of this program. In your market, we may continue for the rest of this hour. So stay with us. We are going to continue our question and hours answers after this. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? The Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Hey, I'm Naomi Boonstra. Are you a kid or do you know a kid who wants to grow closer to God or who wants to learn the Bible better? The Voice of Prophecy has a great set of Bible lessons for that. There are 14 Kids Zone Bible Guides. Your kid or grandkid can study at home. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or pick up the phone and call 888-456-7933 for a set of free Kids Zone Bible lessons. The guides can be done online, or you can ask to have the free Bible guides mailed right to your favorite kid's home. There is never a cost or obligation, just like the Discover Bible Guides. These are our free gift to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and help a kid begin his or her journey today. are listening to Disclosure, a program brought to you by The Voice of Prophecy. This is the second half of our program, so if you are catching us here in the second half, you may want to catch the beginning half of the program, which you can find at our website, vop.com, where you'll find this entire program posted there for you to listen to at your leisure. Well, today we are answering some questions. Well, Sean is answering the questions. I am asking the questions. These questions have been gathered from different events that Sean has done around the world over the years. He always has a question box there. And I save them all. I and save you all the save questions. them all. Yeah. So the ones we're working through today uh, came out of Indianapolis just right. a few yep. years ago. And there are some excellent questions in there, Sean. Uh, I know you have an entire hey, stack. Can, can, can you guys hear them out there? I've got 
They're all right here in a big manila envelope. I, I can see Jean reaching for her earpiece because as I'm rattling this in the microphone, it's driving her crazy. <laughs> and I think the Lord partly put me on earth to drive my wife crazy. Well, it's definitely part of your job description anyway. Yeah. Yes, when you do very well. <laughs> <laughs> ouch. Ouch. Ooh, all right. Ooh. I think next week's episode will be on marriage counseling. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, Sean, there are all kinds of questions in this stack, and there are some good ones. Now, if but somebody wants to ask a question, though, if somebody wants to ask a question. They can do that. Now, we won't get to it today on this program, of course. But if you're listening and you think of a question you would love to ask Sean and have him answer on a future program. Go easy, you may... <laughs> Yeah, no, no. No, no, Send Go your easy. hardest questions. Go easy. Bible, but there is a virtual there, question box. There is. It is biblequestions at vop.com. So if you're thinking of a question you've always wondered about, something you'd love some clarification on that you're studying right now, just send it in. And at some point in a future program, we may just hit your question. All right. Well, out of this stack here today, Sean, one just sort of rose to the surface for me uh, because it's a, an extremely important question, and it's simply this. Can you lose your salvation? Yeah, wow, that is a a big one. And I want to be really careful about answering this because this isn't as simple as you might think at first blush. Mm -hmm. Historically speaking, Christianity has fallen into two camps on can you lose your salvation. There are some people who would argue for something known as eternal security. And that's the tradition that I grew up in. Um, And eternal security says, no, no, you cannot ever, ever, Uh, lose your salvation. Once you've made a decision for Jesus, it's irrevocable. You're locked into it forever. Uh, All the way down to even if you want out of that decision and you don't want to go to heaven, you're still going. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one camp. It's eternal security. And there's another camp that says, yeah, absolutely. The Bible says you can lose it. So what I don't want to do is take one campsite or the other. Here's my philosophy. I think we all ought to be open all the time to reading the entire Bible, and all of us ought to be humble enough to come to the right conclusion based on what Scripture teaches. Amen. And and not go cherry-picking through the Scriptures. You Mm -hmm. don't want to just pick a verse here and there. The Bible is not a buffet. I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Oh, spinach, I don't want any of that. Um, You want to read the whole thing. It's kind of like doing a jigsaw puzzle. You want to get all the pieces, lay them side by side, and look at the big picture, and then you get an idea of what the weight of evidence in the Bible is teaching. So I want to be very, very biblical, and I want to be careful. There is a definite pattern that shows up when you study this question of whether or not you can lose your salvation, but I want to be careful, and here's why. Here's why. There are some attitudes that people take on this question, and neither one of them is really a Christian attitude. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the people who say you can never, ever lose your salvation get really sloppy about their Christianity. They kind of get lazy about it. They say, well, you know what, if I can't ever be lost again, what does it matter if I, you know, I watch these movies and I... And I and I and I get drunk, and because I'm in anyway, and mm-hmm. and there's a temptation to become lackadaisical about your relationship with Christ. Right. Well, if nothing can change it, then right. I can so see it, that tendency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people get really sloppy about not not everybody, um, and somebody would argue then, well, they maybe never had a real relationship with Christ in the first place. Mm-hmm. A real relationship with Christ, they kind of have a point. A real relationship with Christ teaches you. Uh, or a real relationship with Christ will have fruits about it, the Bible does teach. But a non-Christian response to this question is to get sloppy about your Christianity because you feel secure. There is another approach, though. There are some people, and it's another non-Christian attitude, there are people who say, well, you can lose your salvation, but then what they do is they run around and police other people and they scare them with that thought, right? Mm -hmm. They want to keep people scared. They set themselves up in their church or in their community as judge, jury, and executioner, and they're forever correcting other people and policing them, and it is a completely non-biblical principle. The number one thing you should be working on as a believer is your relationship with Jesus 
and be an encouragement to others, but don't police other people. So this is dangerous ground because people go in a number of directions that are really not Christian directions just by examining this. Now, that all having been said, there's my disclaimer. You know, okay. let's be cautious, let's be biblical, yep. but let's look at what biblical principle teaches. Okay. okay. First of all, the Bible says God is not going to stop loving you. Mm-hmm. And God is not going to just make an arbitrary decision to toss you aside. You're in a relationship with him. He doesn't just say, I'm done with you. You know, you bore me. You're gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank heavens God's yeah. character is nothing like our characters as humans. That's for sure. That's right. And yeah. I just went on a radio show. That's a, te- <laughs> that's a technical term for I don't know what it is. All right. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at scripture. Romans 8 verse 38. For I am persuaded, this is Paul speaking, mm-hmm. that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Right. One of my favorite passages in all yeah, the Bible. I, I knew it was one of your favorites. I put it in here to thrill and delight you on yes. today's program. Well, but it is. You. But look at that list. Does that make it sound like it's easy to be tossed aside from the kingdom of God? No. No, not at no. all. God's not going to change his mind about you. There is nothing, nothing in this universe that can separate you from the love of God. We have to understand God is not trying to keep people out of the kingdom. He's working as hard as he can to bring people into the kingdom. There's no other way to explain God's only son dying on a cross. Right. right? It right. doesn't make sense. If God isn't trying his very utmost to get you into the kingdom, then then how do you explain the cross? Right. God's not going to throw you aside. But as you go through that list, angels, principalities, powers, things to come, any created thing. None of these things can separate you from the love of God. Mm -hmm. But there is something missing from that list. There's something that's not in that list. Mm -hmm. That's you. Mm. It's yourself. Right. Remember, Paul Paul wrote this. Paul wrote this, and so we need to compare it to some other passages that Paul wrote. Okay. Take us to a couple. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Here's the one that I mentioned at the opening of the show. Um, You know, in the old King James uses the word castaway. But Mm -hmm. here, but I discipline my body says Paul. This is 1 Corinthians 9.27. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Or the word in the, in the old King James. Castaway. That's where it says castaway. Castaway. And that's, so, that's very clear. We can understand. We can connect with what that means. So here's the, here's the question. Here's the question. When Paul is writing this, does he have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is after Damascus. But what does he say is a possibility? Mm-hmm. He could preach to others and still become disqualified. He has mm-hmm. to make sure he's still maintaining his own relationship with Christ. Those are Paul's words. He's clearly an apostle of Christ. He's clearly a man in a saving relationship with Christ, but he says it's possible that he could become disqualified. Right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Listen to this. This is Paul again. If you're in the camp that says that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, I I happen to be, and maybe that'd be another show for another day. For if we sin willfully, there's the key word. People Mm -hmm. make mistakes. We Mm -hmm. mess up. But But there is a difference between willful sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we sin willfully, turning back to it, Mm -hmm. after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Now. First John says that if any man sins, we have an advocate with God the Father. We have a lawyer on duty. His name is Jesus Christ. Right. We all make mistakes. I make. I made one once. I abs- just once. I, I made one okay. mistake one time. We'll give you, know. you that. 
Yeah. I, I thought I was mistaken. It turns out I was wrong. Oh, that was your yeah. mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all make mistakes. We, we sin. Do. We do. Because we're sinners. And, and, and what the Bible is looking at is not a checklist. It's looking at the pattern. Are you moving closer to Jesus? Are you maintaining that relationship with him? If you make mistakes, we have an advocate with God the Father. But here in Hebrews, it says if you sin willfully. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference. If you're learning to ride a bicycle as a little kid, sometimes you fall off. You know, we had a gravel road that I learned to ride my bike on, mm-hmm. and I fell off. I remember laying there in the gravel crying and Dad saying, don't be such a baby, and, and you know, putting me back on my bike. Those are natural mistakes. You learn to ride a bike, and you fall off once in a while. But if I grab that bike and say, I hate this bike, and I toss it in the lake, there's the willful sin. I'm right. done. I'm right. not doing this anymore. I'm not interested in the relationship, and that's what's happening here. Well, it seems there's a difference in your heart then. So when you sin and you fall, you can you can be remorseful and have regret, whereas your description of picking up that bike and throwing it into the lake, that's very deliberate. Yep. And your heart really has to be um, closed off to being able to ride that bike. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. So yeah. willful sin absolutely can cost you your salvation. You you have the option of checking out. You're the one thing in the list that can, can separate you from the love of God. You can okay. choose to walk away. God's right. not a dictator. Yes. Here's Peter on the subject. Okay. 2 Peter 2, verse 20. For if, this is 2 Peter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world... Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Mm -hmm. they've come into a saving relationship with Jesus. They've come out of the pollutions of the world. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Here's somebody who throws the bike away. Right. Here's somebody who goes back to that life of sin and rejects the relationship. Here's what it comes down to, Gene. God is not going to force anybody into the kingdom of heaven. Right. right? You'd be miserable there. Right. right? He gives us our choice. Yeah, he gives yeah. choice. Mm-hmm. Look, if, if, if I want this world, mm-hmm. if I want my alcohol and I want my gambling and I want my misery and I want, you know, womanizing and stuff, I would be miserable in heaven anyway. Where am I going to, you know, where am I going to find a casino in the kingdom of heaven? Where am I? True. You know, where's the strip club in, right. in the kingdom of not heaven? Not picturing any of that no, up there. You'd be miserable there. God's right. not going to force you in against your will. So here's the caution again. God absolutely wants you folks. He's moving heaven and earth to get you into the kingdom. The, the price that Jesus paid at the cross proves it point blank. He's not trying to keep you out. He gave his own life to get you in. So you can be absolutely secure. So it's not as if we'll, we'll miss out because, you know, we forget to file the right form or nope, we fumble nope, the ball nope, on nope. a technicality. It's not technicality. God's good. desire is to have each of us there. That, that's right. He wants you in the kingdom. That's mm-hmm. it. You mm-hmm. can be secure. You can know you're going to be okay. You know, and, and you don't want to go by your feelings either. Let me, let me wrap up on that point. Okay. First John 5, verse 13. These things, this was a life-changing verse for me. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may feel like you have eternal life. You got that wrong, Sean. No, it's not what it says. It says know that you may have eternal life. Mm -hmm. You can't let your feelings get it. You can know that you have eternal life. Yes, you want to be cautious. You want to maintain that relationship with God. Uh, But the Bible's clear. You have the option of throwing it away. 
In the meantime, don't let your feelings get you down. Feelings, you know, change. Every time Jean starts yelling at me, my feelings go down. I mean, every morning she reams me out, and then I have a bad day. Every morning and yeah, every and, night. Come and, on, let's yeah, be accurate yeah, yeah. on the air, Sean. <laughs> yeah. She reams me out all the time, and my feelings change. Don't base it on feelings. You base it on the promise of God. You may know that you have eternal life. Amen. Do you have the option of walking away? Yes, you do. But God doesn't want it. He's not going to throw you away. He wants you to stay in that relationship, and he wants you to know that as you're in that relationship, you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, Sean, this question, can you lose your salvation? I'm glad we answered it today because that is such a vital question. If you listening have wondered about that, I really hope that the scriptures we've looked at today will give you that assurance that neither life nor death, etc., as we read in Romans, can separate us from God. The only thing that separates us from Him is our decision, our decision to turn away from Him. And when we choose to follow Him, we can know that we have that eternal life. Well, I have a lot more questions here. We're not going to get to all of them, Sean, but there's one on top I really want to ask you. So stay with us through the break. believe midnight is approaching. I don't mean the hands on the clock, but the time, prophetically speaking. At the Voice of Prophecy, we believe midnight approaches. And we also believe God has called us to work tirelessly to spread the message of His love and salvation before midnight. But we can't do this work without a partnership with you, our faithful supporters and sponsors. Sponsors are an integral part of our family. And each fall, we gather in three locations across the United States to fellowship together at a relaxing Sponsorship Weekend. Sponsorship Weekends are full of beautiful music, inspirational preaching, and delicious food, all set in a relaxing environment. Find out how you can become a sponsor and join us at one of these inspirational weekends. Give us a call at 1-800-429-5700 or visit us online at VOPSponsors.com. Welcome back to Disclosure. We are in the last quarter of our program. I am Jean Boonstra, your host, and today I've been asking Sean some questions from his question boxes that he's had at live seminars around the world over many, many years. And Sean, you've been answering some really important questions here today already. Um, There's one here on the surface that goes a little bit of a different direction, but I think it's a good one. Are dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? Yeah, are dinosaurs in the Bible? Well... Some people think so. I've had people get really adamant with me. They, they walk up and say, absolutely, dinosaurs are in the Bible. And it probably stems from this need to reconcile what some people are saying is shown by the geological record and, and what some people see in the Bible. Um, and, and some people base their insistence on a couple of passages in the book of Job. Book of Job, now, okay. Job is one of my favorite books. Here, you know, it's, it's a deep examination of human suffering and so on. And by Job chapter 38, God shows up after Job has complained a little. And he emphasizes the fact that he is God and Job is not God. And what does Job actually know? And God starts rolling out all of these things that Job couldn't possibly understand. 
And, uh, and just to sort of emphasize here, Job, you really don't get everything. Mm-hmm. Job 40 falls in that passage. And, and here we go. This is where some people see dinosaurs. Job 40, verse 15. Now look at the behemoth, mm. which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See, now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. People look at that. What is a behemoth? Because if you go to the Denver Zoo or the National Zoo in Washington, there is no, no behemoth yeah, there's exhibit. No, there's no behemoth exhibit. Right. right? They, we, the, the History Museum, Natural History Museum, there is no behemoth. And the next verse or the next line, he moves his tail like a Cedar. Okay, that's so a big tail. So a cedar tree. Those are yeah. big trees. That's a big, long tail. Mm-hmm. Really, in the original language, it's indicating something that's short and thick and muscular okay. um, and, and, and so on. Um, he lies under the lotus trees a little further down in a covert of reeds and marsh. So here's something that hides in the water. Okay. So some people say, ooh, tail like a cedar. They don't keep reading. They say, that's the brontosaurus. Great big tail. I saw that uh-huh. in a textbook one time. No, this is an animal that's in the reeds, in a yeah. covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. This is something in the water. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes. In other words, he sees everything around him with his eyes that are poking up out of the water. You know what scholars believe this is? So far, now we've got a big animal. Yeah. With a short, thick tail okay. that's in the water and his eyes are poking up, up above. Can you think of any animal in this world that matches that description? Well, there's one animal that seems to my mind, that pops to mind, the hippopotamus, that, that, maybe? That, that's it, mm-hmm. right? Most Bible scholars believe this is actually a hippopotamus. Okay. Right? His oh, and eyes, and, eyes and nose are above the water. God is saying to Job, you can't catch this guy by the eyes and nose. It's a hippopotamus. So, okay. for centuries, people have used the word behemoth to describe a giant monster, and uh, there's as much imagination making that a dinosaur as there is anything else. I don't know for sure what it is, behemoth, but it's probably, probably a, a hippo. A hippo okay. right? Job 41. Here's the other one that people point to. Mm-hmm. Can you draw out, this is Job 41, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan? Ooh, that sounds like a sea monster. That does. Yeah. yeah. With a hook, or snare his tongue with a line in which, uh, which you lower. Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? People look at that and they say, ooh, Leviathan. And that's been used over the centuries. Ooh, dragons. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is some giant lizard. It is a giant lizard. Most scholars accept that this is probably a reference to a crocodile or an alligator. Okay. And they're saying, look, when you go fishing, you really don't want to catch a crocodile on the line. Well, that, that is that's, true. That, that that's would be a true. violent and unpleasant experience. You you know, this, this animal is strong and you don't understand him. Okay. Look, Read the Bible from cover to cover. There's no real cre- credible evidence that dinosaurs are actually mentioned in the Bible. So then, Sean, this explains the behemoth, the leviathan. Are there dinosaurs? No. What? Well, what are the dinosaurs, right? right they are simply right. ex- uh, extinct animals. Mm-hmm. We don't really find them in the Bible. Those who interpret the geological record through catastrophism, in other words, something that happened to the world, like the flood, some big disaster happened, mm-hmm. and they they see the geological record as a result of catastrophism, they're going to point out there are many finds that are consistent with a large catastrophe. You find all these footprints that congregate in high places, like the animals are running away from the water. Uh, you find the rapid erosion of valleys. You find fossils that poke up through layer after layer after layer of earth that seem to represent millions of years, and yet somehow that fossil laid there on its tail for millions of years waiting to be buried. But again, Gene, I'm not a geologist. I'm not a paleontologist. We should probably get a guy like Tim Standish on the show. 
Um, yeah, and, that and, would be a great Yeah, program. producer we Ruben, write that down. That would be a good show. We should invite Tim Stanish on the show and, uh, yeah. and, and do that. But are there dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? I'm saying no. You know, I'm okay. not the final authority, but I'm saying no. Okay, so they're not mentioned in the Bible. These references that some have attributed to dinosaurs sounds like they're understandable as regular animals that we know every day. So we can't link them to the dinosaurs that we see in the fossil record. All right. Well, I have another question here, Sean, that is very heartfelt. And I think the person who submitted it really um, was was feeling very passionately about this. And I, and I, was, I know some listening probably have felt something like this or similar. And the questioner writes, I understand that God is willing to forgive, but you don't know what I've done. I am afraid that I've gone past the point of no return and I'm irrevocably lost. Yeah, tr- sadly, Gene, this question comes in a lot more than it than it than it should. Mm. Um, and here's what I would say: I mean, people wrestle with this. I know the Bible says I'm forgiven, but I'm not forgiven. I'm that one exception that has gone so far that I can't be forgiven. And here's what I want to say to that person: If you're worried about whether or not you're saved, then I can guarantee that you are not a hopeless case. You have not gone past the point of no return. What we all need to understand is that you can't feel worried about sin. You wouldn't be sorrowful. You wouldn't be worried at all unless God was working on your heart right now. Now, here's how I know that. Jesus teaches in John 16 that the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to you. So if you're under conviction that you are a sinner, that's evidence that God is actually working on you. And if you're a lost case, God knows what a lost case looks like. He wouldn't be working on you. So that feeling is actually a good sign. That's good. It's It's a good good sign. sign. Right. Mm -hmm. Jesus said this, John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me. The Spirit's job is to feel is to bring that feeling of conviction to you. So if you feel conviction about sin, that's God tapping you on the shoulder saying, we have to work on this. Okay. And God doesn't tap on the shoulder of a hopeless case. Mm. Romans chapter 2 says this. Do you, this is Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What does that mean? God gives you repentance. You wouldn't be repentant of your sins if God didn't give you the ability to do that. Okay. If you feel repentance and sorrow for sin, that means God tapped you on the shoulder again and mm. said, I want you to make this right with me. We can work on this together. Okay. So if you're worried, you're not irrevocably lost. Mm. Now, let, let's look at the promise of God for a moment. A girl came to me in, in Northern Europe some years ago. She was probably 19, 20 years old. I was done speaking in the evening, and she was waiting for me at the side of the platform at that auditorium. Um, after I was done speaking, she was in tears, college-age student, and she's weeping. She says, I, I don't know that I can have this. I don't know that salvation is for me. I don't know that I can go to heaven because you don't understand, Sean, what I've done. Mm. And I said, no, I don't know what you've done. I really don't. But God knows what you've done, and the reason you're in tears is, is, is because he's tapped you on the shoulder and said, we can fix this. We can fix this. And then we open our Bibles to one of the all-time favorite passages of, of Christians, 1 John 1, verse 9. Okay. If we, and here's what I did. Well, let's call her Sarah for the sake of argument so that I maintain her privacy. Okay. I said, Sarah, read this to me. And she read to me, 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. And I said, Sarah, how much unrighteousness? She said, all? I said, not, not so questioning. What does it say? All unrighteousness. All right. Did it say there except for murder? She said, no. 
I said, does it say they're all unrighteousness except for adultery or fornication? She said, no. I said, how about stealing? No. How about hatred? No. How about a ruined relationship with your parents or your spouse or your boyfriend or whoever? How about that? Does it say all unrighteousness except those broken relationships? She said, no. And she started weeping again. I said, do me a favor, Sarah. And I pulled a pen out of my pocket and I handed it to her. And it was cold out there. We were standing by the door of that auditorium, Northern Europe, in the winter. I said, do me a favor. I want you to take this pen, and I want you to you got, open your Bible to this verse again. I want you to take my pen and scratch that verse out. Just just scratch it through with this pen and eliminate it from your Bible. She said, I, I can't do that. I said, why not? She said, it's the Bible, Sean. I don't want to scratch out a verse of the Bible. That's right. not right. I said, you may as well, Sarah, because you're scratching it out with your beliefs. You're saying that's for everybody except you. What does it say? Does it say everybody else's unrighteousness? God is faithful and just for everybody but you? And she wept again. I said, your job is to accept this on faith. I know you sometimes don't feel like it. And I know we've raised this point already again today. But you never, ever want to go by your feelings. You don't want to go by your feelings when it comes to determining whether or not you're okay with God. Right? This is faith. Faith is choosing to trust that God's promise applies to you. Your step of faith is to claim that verse and say, you know what you can do is write your own name into it. If Sean confesses his sin, He is faithful and just to forgive Sean his sins and to cleanse Sean from all unrighteousness. If you're struggling to believe it, start reading these verses out loud with your name in it. Mm -hmm. And then pray, Lord, I am choosing today, even though I don't always feel like it, to stand on this verse. Well, and I love that, substituting our name here, because I think sometimes we can read things like this in Scripture, Sean. Right. it's it's easy to believe it in our mind, but to actually make that application to ourselves personally that we deserve this. Sometimes that's a whole other layer to what we have to right. to accepting it. And so, if I encourage you, if you if you're struggling with this, as you're listening, do this. Substitute your name. It may take. 5, 10, 20 times of reading it with your name in it to believe it. But it is a promise for right. you. There are, there are forces in this world that want you to believe that this isn't for you. And the right. temptation is always, yes, but I'm so much worse than everybody else. Paul writes to the Corinthians, there is no temptation taking you such as is common to all men. Look, That's the only right. reason you believe that the other people around you aren't as sinning like you and aren't as bad as you is because they're covering it up. Right, That's exactly. It. Everybody's got their problems. I'll tell you all as a preacher right now. Everybody comes to my office for prayer, and they are all messed up alike. We're all messed up alike. We all need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Our hope is not in how good we are. Our hope is in how good he is. And again, it says in John 5.13, you may know that you have eternal life. It doesn't say you may feel like it. It says that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, it's not how good I am. It's how good Jesus is and what he can do for me. You've got to reject the devil's temptation to think you are the only hopeless case on earth. Right, You wouldn't be worried about your sin if you were hopeless. God's tapping you on the shoulder right now saying, I'm offering you individual forgiveness. Amen. And you deserve it. It is available to each of us. And you may think that the person sitting next to you at work, on the bus, or even in the church pew isn't struggling with some of the things you are. But they are. And if you sat down and got to talking to them, honestly, you would find that our struggles are universal. And this promise, you may know that you have eternal life, that does apply to each and every one of us. Well, Sean, we've just barely scratched the I know. surface we in only your got little through, envelope got here like full of three questions. Or four questions. But I got a whole we bunch did. more. We ought to come back and do this again. Well, let's do this again another time. And if you are listening and you have a Bible question you want to send us, that email address again is biblequestions at vop.com. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Disclosure. You know, each episode is on our website, VOP.com. Visit us there and listen to them all. I'm Jean Boonstra, and you've been listening to Disclosure. Disclosure.